Good morning. One of the things that I deeply value about the church here with its lectionary readings is that we are forced to face the fact of the resurrection and let the implications of this momentous event percolate into our lives for six weeks. This is the last Sunday of the Easter season. And if we retrace the biblical storyline until now with the benefit of hindsight, we realize that, you know, the disciples were not expecting the cross. It was absolutely devastating for them. But they expected the resurrection even less. It must have been hard to process the events for them. Three years of walking with Jesus, sharing life with Jesus, listening to the fact that the kingdom had come, seeing Jesus perform miraculous signs over and over again, signs that confirmed his identity as the Messiah, Jesus then growing in popularity. And the entrance into Jerusalem must have been spectacular. And one can imagine the adrenaline rush this would have given the disciples. I mean, listen to the crowds. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. There were palm fronds and, and the exuberant crowds were so caught up in the emotions of the moment that it's only afterwards. As John reviews the events in his mind, that he says, at first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him, John 12, 16. In fact, this is a theme woven throughout John's gospel. Way back in chapter two, Jesus had emphasized that he would be rebuilding the temple in three days. And John makes the editorial comment the temple he had spoken of was his body. And then he adds, after he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken, John 2, 21. And so it was the, the benefit of hindsight and the, and the, the uh, revealing work of the Holy Spirit that helped them connect the dots. You know, as, as we go back to this whole story, it's perhaps the Emmaus travelers that, that summed up the feelings and the sentiments of the disciples. He was a prophet, talking about Jesus, they said, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But he was taken, handed over to the authorities, falsely accused, condemned and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And you can hear how, how disillusioned, disappointed, filled with despair they were. But we had hoped, implying that hope had died, snuffed out in the darkness of Good Friday. And so it seems that the only viable solution would have been to return to life as it was before meeting Jesus. May as well go home, back to the old life, back to the tried and true in a world of failed dreams. In fact, the disciples, as we know, returned to their livelihood as fishermen. So, when the resurrected Jesus shows up again and again and convinces his disciples that he's alive, it would then seem that the disciples should pick up where they had left off. They could join Jesus again 
Join his itinerant ministry again. Travel from town to town with the message of the kingdom again. I mean, it makes sense, right? When the authorities later put the apostles in prison and God lets them out, what do they do? They go right back to the temple and they preach again. And when Paul is stoned and left for dead, his disciples, come, his, his friends come and, and pick him up and he recovers. And what does he do? Well, he goes right back to preaching again. So that now that Jesus is alive and well, what should they do? It makes sense. Pick up where they left off and join him in his work. But Easter changes everything. You simply cannot go back to life before Easter as if nothing has happened, not even with Jesus. No, Easter is the most important event in the history of the world. Without Easter, nothing Jesus did, preached, or said makes any sense. Without Easter, Jesus would be no more than a nice teacher, an inspiring preacher, a miracle worker. But the truth is that Easter does, in fact, change not just some things, but everything. You simply cannot go back to the pre-Easter storyline. No, no, nothing will be the same anymore. And so I submit to you that there are three key ideas that we can glean from the lectionary readings this morning. First of all, from John, because Easter changes everything, we relate to Jesus differently now. And from Acts, because Easter changes everything, we are summoned to realign our lives with God's ultimate purposes for the world. And with Peter, because Easter changes everything, we have real hope, a hope that we need to share. So let, let's look at the Gospel of John first. Our reading is taken from a key part of John's, Jesus' upper room conversation with his disciples. Our Lord is about to leave the disciples and he wants to encourage them, to teach them, to prepare them for the time while he will, when he will no longer be with them physically. And what Jesus stresses in so many ways is that the resurrection will indeed change everything. They simply won't be able to have the same kind of relationship that they once enjoyed. Jesus will leave them, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus will ask the Father, and the Father will give them another advocate, another helper, someone to encourage them to be with them, he says, forever, even the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit will always be by our side. And yet, it's more than that. And we get a glimpse into the amazing privilege that's ours as Christians. Look at what Jesus outlines here. He says, the Spirit will be with you. He lives with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you because I live. You will live also. And you will realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. And the one who loves me will be loved by the Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. One of the key doctrines that has made a comeback in the 20th century is surprisingly the doctrine of the Trinity. 
And whereas in Western theology, the Trinity is often be presented as a hierarchy uh, with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In Eastern Christian thinking, the Eastern Orthodox thinking, the Trinity is often seen as three persons holding hands in a kind of a dance. No one is higher than the other one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they give themselves to one another mutually. They enjoy one another's company. There's delight, submission, joy, intimacy. But what they teach us is that and this is largely coming from the Gospel of John, that this three-person dance of delight is something that we are welcomed into. It's as if the, the persons of the Trinity let go of one another just for a moment and allow us to come into the inner circle. And so to be a Christian, imagine this, is to participate in this dance of divine love and life. It's an amazing thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes to us and lives in us, not just with us. And the Son indwells us, and the Father comes into our lives and loves us, and we respond with loving obedience as well. This is life with a capital L. It's truly an amazing thing to belong to God in this way. I mean, imagine what life would be like if living in Canada in the 21st century, we needed to go back to a pre-resurrection relationship with Jesus. If you wanted to talk to him, if he wanted to encourage you, what would we need to do? Well, you would need to travel to Israel and wait your turn in a long line of other Jesus followers. And the logistics of trying to do life with Jesus as part of a global movement would have been impossible. But Easter changes everything. Now Jesus comes through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives around the world. Easter does change everything. We, we, we cannot go back to walking with Jesus in Galilee. That's not what it means to follow Jesus today. And thank God, he walks with us wherever we are. Better still, he dwells in us through the power of the Spirit. We are never alone. We are not going to be orphaned, he says. Jesus insists we will know that the Father loves us. And we will know that Jesus loves us. And so instead of simply being a historical being from a distant past, someone we can admire like, I don't know, Florence Nightingale or Winston Churchill or Dorothy Day or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Jesus is our eternal contemporary. He lives in us, walks with us, prays with us, prays for us, encourages us, disciplines us, guides us moment by moment. And as has been said, Jesus is closer to us than we are to ourselves. Yes, Easter changes everything. But you know, Easter changes everything for everyone, not just for the disciples who walked with Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, we find Paul preaching to Gentiles, to Athenian philosophers. You know the story. He's walked around the city and he's deeply distressed about the idolatry that he has seen there. And so as he, he talks about this, he, he mentions that he's observed the fact that they are very religious. 
but he gets to the point where he gives them a history lesson. And he tells them, God made the world. He is utterly self-sufficient, needing nothing from no one. In fact, he's the author of life. He gives, he gives every human being the gift of life, the ability to breathe, to exist. And the point is, God is involved in every single person's life. But now God comes to all humanity and invites us to know him. He, he is the God of world history, making, marking out appointed times, deeply engaged in the affairs of human being, putting, putting all people in specific geographical places. So we see that God's embrace or area of influence goes beyond the confines of Israel or the Hebrew people or even the church. Why? Because Paul says all human beings bear his image. We are his offspring. We are profoundly connected to him as creator. And Paul explains, human ideas about God can be idolatrous. So in a moment of extreme irony, Paul stresses that these Athenian philosophers have actually been ignorant. But given that Jesus has come, Humans can no longer plead ignorance. God, the Son, has walked on the earth. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God so that things are forever changed, so that history will never be the same. Jesus made atonement for sin on the cross, and then Jesus rose triumphant over sin and death. And whatever story was told to provide a scaffolding for any society, the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth changes everything. Christ is the clue to universal history, not just Hebrew or Christian history. No, no, this is world history. It embraces everyone, including Greek philosophers, including you and I. In fact, Paul says God now commands everyone, all people everywhere to repent. Repentance in scripture is, is such a powerful and such an important term. And, and so often we think it's just feeling sad after we've broken the rules and we want to fix up our lives. But, but in the New Testament, the, the main idea is to reorganize your priorities, to change the way that you think, to reorient your life and ultimately to realign your goals, your reason for being, what you believe, how you define the good life in a way that is consistent with God's standards and God's perspective. And the reason why, according to Paul, is that God has set a day in which he will judge the world by the man that he has appointed. And that man is no one else than Jesus himself. Jesus of Nazareth is now the ultimate reference point for everyone, everywhere. And the validation of this truth claim is crystal clear. Listen to what Paul says. He, that is God, has given proof of this to everyone by raising him, that is Jesus, from the dead. So yes, Easter changes everything. Alternative rival stories about how the world works of what the good life looks like are swept away by that singular resurrection morning event. And the idea that human reasoning or, or humanistic social theory or technology or artificial intelligence or brute force or money can definitively bring about a new world is just not possible. 
All human beings are summoned to align our lives with God's story, with God's playbook, with God's solution, with God's message about what really matters. We are summoned to live our lives in the light of the final return of Jesus Christ on the last day, the day of judgment. I can't but help to think how that one of the urgent lessons we should be learning through this time of COVID-19 is that stories of economic success and progress that have seemed to shape the way we've lived as a society for so long um, have suddenly collapsed. And not just locally or nationally, but on, on, on a global scale. And we learn once again that human beings are not the measure of all things. That there are diseases that we simply cannot control. We learn that partisan politics cannot solve the issue. That narratives of progress and economic boom, of unbridled consumer spending, of indiscriminate use of natural resources in the pursuit of the American dream have come to a screeching halt. We have an invitation to reconsider God's purposes, God's story, God's timeline. It's an opportunity for a reality check. I mean, what is it that gets us out of bed in the morning? What, what do we live for? What are the goals that we've set for ourselves and for our families? Shouldn't the very fact that history is moving towards this climactic end wake us up to recalibrate our spiritual, our economic, our internal GPS so that we are aligned by God's timetable for the world? Some of the earliest church fathers and mothers remind us to keep death always before our eyes. Now that might seem a little bit morbid at first, but it is extremely wise and pastoral. And the point is not to live with fear, but rather to make sure that your life matters, to make sure that, that your life is meaningful. I mean, imagine someone spending their entire life trying to climb the ladder of success only to find out at the end that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So scripture encourages us to set goals in light of the end, to evaluate what you do in life with the question, when I die and appear before God or when Jesus comes back, will doing this or that, investing so much energy and time in this or that pursuit, spending money like this, will, will all of this really matter? It would be an absolute tragedy if the only lasting result of our weeks at home was little more than an expanded repertoire of Netflix. Or that life has simply hit the pause button. And once the restrictions lift, it's as if nothing has ever happened. No, no, our readings today invite us to consider an other perspective. Easter changes everything. Jesus' resurrection confirms the reality of God's timetable and endorses God's purpose for the world. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead means that we will be resurrected too. We've been created for eternity, so let us live for eternity. Don't forget that page after page of the New Testament pulsates with a forward-looking perspective as God's people stand on tiptoe, longing for the return of Jesus Christ. We don't wait for something to happen. We wait for someone to come back. 
And it's precisely here that our final reading from 1 Peter helps us to refocus on the implications of God's timeline in light of the final judgment that will usher in the new creation in the here and now. Listen to what Peter has to say. Don't be afraid of threats, he says. Don't be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. And then he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope you have. Now, granted, the threats and persecutions that Peter refers to are related to religious persecution, and we, thankfully, do not suffer as many have in the past or in different parts of the world today. And yet there is a sense in which the church is slowly being exiled from mainstream society, from any privileged position. And it's precisely from this marginalized place that Peter reminds us that Easter changes everything. A few weeks ago, we read in chapter one that God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now Peter says, be prepared to provide anyone who asks with a reason for that hope. And the answer is clear. We have hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and our hope is in Jesus Christ. Hope is one of those other ambiguous words that we use frequently. And so often what we mean is more like optimism. I hope that the the current COVID-19 protocols will end soon. I hope that someone finds a cure. I hope that I don't lose my job. I hope that school and university will return to normal. I really hope that I can see my family again. And, you know, that hope is nice, but there are no guarantees. But the fascinating thing is that when we turn to the New Testament, hope is very specific. In the book of Acts, Paul is on trial numerous times. And in chapter 3, we find Paul tried by the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of his day. And listen to what he says. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when in chapter 24, Paul is later brought before Felix, he says, I admit I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. And I believe everything that's in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And then in chapter 26, Paul is before King Agrippa and listen to his defense. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. And then he asks, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So the resurrection defines Christian hope. Easter changes everything. Easter not only provides us a solid basis for our hope, Easter is the guarantee that we aren't following some sort of a pipe dream, some fairy tale, some fantasy. No, no, Christ has risen. Our faith is not empty or useless in the presence of the risen Lord. Despair is nothing less than a sinful, willful rejection of everything that Christ is and everything he's done and everything he's promising to do. 
It may well be that there has never been a time in which people need to be assured of Easter hope as in our day right now. And so the Holy Spirit through Paul says, realign your life with, with God's goals for history. And that goal is the final judgment, the final resurrection, when Jesus returns to usher in the final version of the kingdom of God in the new creation. And the Holy Spirit, through Peter, says Easter hope gives us the assurance that our lives are not pointless, that we're not wandering around in a world where everything is foggy and it's hard to find our way. And though Easter insists that there's no need to cave into dismal pessimism or to whistle merrily in the dark with naive optimism and hope that somehow the warm weather will make everything okay. And through John, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are shaped by resurrection hope, even as we share in Jesus' resurrection life in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we know God's love. So the good news is that we can relate to Jesus in a new personal way, consistently, wherever we are, whenever we desire to walk with him, to talk with him. And thank God we are invited into life with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that love defines that relationship. Thank God that Jesus Christ is the clue to human history, that he defines our destiny, and that hope has a human face. It's the face of Jesus himself, God's resurrected son. And yes, thank God that we have real, authentic hope that will outlast every pandemic, every illness, every trial, every question, every moment of loneliness or frustration or boredom, and even death itself. Truly, Easter changes everything. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your old covenant people gave you praise for their redemption in the Exodus. They sang about it. They said, come and see what the Lord has done. We, your new covenant baptized people, celebrate your grace and goodness and our redemption in the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. This truly changes everything. And we praise you for the life that you now offer us. Help us to realign our lives with your story of salvation so that we may live every day as a people of resurrection hope. We pray this in Christ, our risen Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.